When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Major breaking news as we start, and this headline is actually about Real Vision itself. Until the end of October, you can sign up to Real Vision Plus for just $400. That is a massive discount. With Plus, you get access to all the Real Vision masterclasses, all the learning modules in the Real Vision Academy, and you get to watch a host of other shows that dive deeper into the markets and how things might play out over the next six months. This is exactly the kind of content that we all need right now, given what's going on. All right, time to get back to the rest of the world. Have the central banks lost control of the bond market? Welcome, everyone. Joining me today is Greg Weldon, founder of Weldon Live. Hi, Greg. Great to see you. Hey, Maggie. What's happening? So we chose that question right from your research, actually. You sent over a couple of notes. And as I was reading them, it, you know, it struck me that you sound like you're worried that maybe they are losing control of the situation. You know, what, what's your thoughts when it comes to what's happening with monetary policy around the world? Wow. So we have four or five hours to discuss what's yeah, happening exactly. in monetary yeah. policy around the world. Wow. <laughs> well, um, let's start with the Fed. You've got James Bullard talking um, now. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm posing the question and now you're posing the question to me. And I mean, the answer is the odds are rising that the answer could be yes. I'm not saying the answer is yes or they have lost control. But I think when you start to talk about all the fiscal spending that's been done in every country, countries that would have never considered QE doing QE, you know, mm -hmm. so... You know, you have to really take a step back and look at the big, big, big picture. I'm talking almost as old as I am, you know, from the perspective of 1971, you go off the gold standard, gives us the right to print dollars. That's what this is all about, a 50-year trend that has gotten so big and so large. But, you know, what happens next time? How much more money do you have to print it's exponentially more every time to get the same percentage change in money supply and stuff like that? You need growth, the more debt you have to service the debt. So the question becomes... When does supply overwhelm demand? And if central banks are going to stop buying bonds, the Fed, $1.44 trillion a year, annualized, month to month, week to week, day to day, okay, when they were doing QE, they stopped buying and public borrowing in the U.S. is going to hit $2 trillion for the first time ever. That's a $3.5 trillion flip-flop. And a lot of this debt, of course, as probably most people know, is short-term in its maturity. Yeah, you have a potential for central banks to lose control of the bond market. Then the question is, how do they wrangle control back if that kind of starts to happen? And it gets back to something I wrote in a book that I wrote in 2006 and called it Monetary Armageddon. I mean, this ultimately leads to a number of places, one of which could be they end up buying every bond ever printed. And, you know, a loaf of bread costs 50 bucks. So I don't know if they're losing control of the bond market, but the odds are rising. They're certainly not zero that they could be. Yeah. And, you know, it's I, I think whenever we have, you know, something that sounds big and scary like that, you know, immediately people sort of think like, oh, come on, you know, we've gone through crisis before. Yes, it's bad. But I think it's worth pointing out that there, as you say, this has kind of been building so I can understand why there is a concern in your voice and the concern we're hearing elsewhere. And you see little bits of it coming out all over the place where people and we saw what happened in the UK. And now we have 
uh, you know, some headlines coming out that Treasury is thinking about going in and doing some sort of buying, not QE or QT, but, you know, around certain securities because there's scarcity. So there are real you know, sort of crack showing. But it's weird because at the same time, we're listening to to James Bullard, who's been talking live um, for the last half hour or so, you know, and steady as she goes, we're going to stick with our policy. You know, this is a great time to be fighting inflation because the labor market's so strong. You know, they are staying on message regardless of what's happening. Does that increase the odds that there is some sort of policy misstep or you think that's just them verbally sounding calm while they behind the scenes identify where some of the strains are well it's a great question and my head is spinning because there's so many tangents off of this there really really are and they're so important you know i say you know um number one um of course they're verbally being that way because one of the things that happened in 2018 was the fed published a whole bunch of white papers of 300 plus pages of them 11 of them i read every word and what they did was kind of change the monetary paradigm as we know they're concerned because interest rates were so low that you know when you get to the next crisis what are we going to do with monetary policy that's actually going to work and that's you say why is it now that it matters that maybe there's a crisis when we've averted all these crises before? And that's a great question. And maybe we do again. Maybe there's one more bullet left in the gun. I don't know. But the fact is, you've taken monetary policy about to the edge. They know this. They've said this. They're very aware of this. And when they start talking, and Alan Blinder said this really well back in 2018 as well, that you get to a point where communication is a policy tool. And they just said this in the meeting minutes that were just released. They basically said, through our communication, we have effectively enhanced the tightening of monetary conditions, right, i.e. the dollar. So then you start to talk about that, and what's the risk? And you said something really important. You said you get bits and pieces of it from everywhere Mm because it's everywhere. It's every country. This is why it's more concerning because it's global. When you talk about a place, for example, like Czech Republic, Right. It's a very large economy within Europe, relatively speaking, it supplies Germany with semi-finished goods that are finished in Germany and exported. It's kind of part of the German export juggernaut, and it's critical. They have a very strong currency, very respected central bank. Right. But their inflation is through the roof. It's like almost 20 percent. If it didn't just hit 20 percent, you know, Latvia's 22, Hungary's over 20. You're talking about food being in the 30 percent plus range. Every one of these countries that can least afford to have to pay more for necessities is having to pay more for necessities. That's why I'm so concerned because the Fed is looking at the U.S. and they're kind of trying to save the U.S. and a lot of it's verbal. And they always have puppeteered the markets all the way back to Greenspan, puppeteering the markets, pulling the strings verbally through the dot plot to get the markets to do their dirty work for them. They've kind of effectively done that because the forward Fed fund strip is pricing in 475 then five and a quarter, and they don't finish tightening till the middle, June of 2024. And then they're going to leave rates unchanged for a while? Think about mortgage rates at 8% for the next two years. What does that do to the economy? They're not going to do that. They're verbally forcing the issue and trying to get some of the disinflation to take place. The problem is the place it's not taking place is the stock market, some of the commodities. Look at copper today. Look at gold. Now, all of a sudden, you have a whole bunch of kind of similar asset classes acting wonky at key technical support levels, the next week or two could be really interesting. Yeah. And and we did see that with housing, by the way. You mentioned those mortgage rates. U.S. housing starts fell sharply today. Mortgage rates at their highest since 2002. Um, I just want to insert here because I think it's really important. So um, this is the first time you've been on our platform before, first time you're on the daily briefing. And 
lately we've been talking about these big macro themes, these big global themes, because they are affecting everything. But your 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 background is a trader. You're very tactical at times. So, you know, give us a little sense on the sort of assets you look at and what is your time frame? Because even short-term traders, I think, are having to plug into this big macro framework right now. That's why it's so important. So, you know, what kind of time frame are you looking at for the kinds of trades you look at or the asset classes you look at? Yeah, it's another good question. I mean, it really, I mean, the ideal time frame is months. I mean, the ideal time frame is when we can be long copper for 18 months and make a ton of money and just move our stops along. We don't have to really have too much anxiety, right? Um, you know, I, I, we're not trader traders and we're not, I'm not trying to basically scalp the market or a day trade or anything if, I, if, if ever, which is extremely rare. I'm in and out in the same days because we bought something, put the stop in, and the market reversed and we got stopped out right away. I always have stops. The second I have a position and I have my stops in, you know, portfolio management, risk management is obviously a big part of this. But to me, this is a key question because thinking that just buy and hold stocks and the Fed will come ride the white horse and rescue the market every time, kind of starting to wane. And in terms of, you know, not only that, but protecting the purchasing power of your money, of your paper money. As they continue to print more money, print more money, devaluing the purchasing power of that money, uh, I think is also important. And I think people are going to have to look at alternative things like foreign exchange, like bond markets, like commodities. And to me, I've always been a proponent on my entire career. I've been in the futures markets. Futures markets are wildly misunderstood. They're wildly misused. Uh, if you apply simple math to the futures markets, they're a phenomenal tool where you can be longer short these things. It's highly liquid. It's about the notional value of the contracts that you use for risk, not how much margin it had to put up, you know, and you get people say, oh, you can trade this for 50 grand and be successful. You can't. You need to be capitalized. But if you're capitalized, the, the opportunities going forward are going to be volatility. It's going to be up and down. It's going to be in stuff as much as paper assets. And you're going to need to take advantage of it because the paper asset, you know, easy game indexing passive investment to me is over. Yeah, that's a fantastic point, Greg, and one that we are thinking hard about and trying to, you know, give people tools to think about because it's been a generation, it's been many years where you could do that and you could get away with that. Um, and it worked very well, as a matter of fact, but we're all having sure. to kind of go back and And go complacency, back look at the complacency. Yeah. And not only that, I'll throw one more thing, and I'm not really a conspiracy theorist guy, even though, you know, because everything's kind of a conspiracy if you want to look at it that way. I mean, someone said to me at some point, yeah, but, you know, they're, they're like, you know, intervening in the markets. They're manipulating the markets. Like I was on a goal for in the eighties. They manipulate every market they always have. It's part of the game, right? So you have to accept it and deal with it and understand it as best you can. Yeah. If you look at where stock markets have bounced repeatedly recently, the key, these are key levels that go back to trends from the pandemic. They go back to trends from 2008 and nine. If you look at some of the housing numbers, like the, uh, the MBA, you know, uh, purchase uh, you know, uh, loan activity index and the refi loan activity index and applications and so on. I mean, it's crashed, but not only that, you're back to levels that we saw in 2008 and nine. You violated trend lines in a lot of economic indicators that go back to 2008, 2009. So again, it's kind of, you know, secular in nature too, that they want to protect this level in stock markets because they want a certain, you know, the Fed wants some disinflation. But certainly asset managers that manage trillions of dollars don't want deflation in asset prices. And I think you have kind of almost, I'm not going to say it's you know concerted in terms of consciously, but you know I think there's a big money trying to defend these technical levels right here in the stock market. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. 
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Oh, that's really that's that's really interesting. So, if you have questions now that we know Greg covers all these cross assets and, and does look globally, um, if you have any questions, go ahead and drop them in the YouTube chat in our comment section while that live live chat is um, not functioning on our website and on the website on Twitter. I hope there's a day where I can not have to say that bit again. But anyway, you know where to find us. Drop your questions in. Um, so interestingly, Greg, um, you know, we're, we're right around the anniversary. I think it actually is today of the 1987 crash, right? Um, now we've all gotten a, a bit more used to that, but boy, when that happened, and I had recently had a chance to catch up with David Rosenberg, who actually, I laugh every time I think about this, began his investment banking career on the day of the crash. I mean, talk about um, sort of, I don't know, bad luck, good luck, because it kind of was a baptism by fire. But we went Is back. That the same as Jordan Balfour? Didn't Jordan Balfour in I that think movie? So, it right? It's weird. Thing, right? there, there are a few the people who, who we've spoken to over the years that that yeah. had that that day be the start yeah, of there. Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense. But um, but anyway, we, I, we went back and talked a little bit about that, but also, you know, sort of talking about whether there are any parallels uh, to today. And he is extremely concerned about policy yeah. missteps and what's ahead. Let's have a listen to that clip. When the Fed was tightening in 1999 into the mid part of 2000, all the bad stuff didn't happen uh, until 2001. Uh, the Fed was tightening all the way from mid-2004 to mid-2006. All the bad stuff didn't really start to happen until 0708. Mm -hmm. All this stuff happens with a lag. Uh, what the Fed does, because as because not everything is reset, you know, what happened in the first half of the year in terms of the economy being so weak, no matter what metric you really look, look at, outside the labor market, which is a lagging indicator, but all the real-time economic indicators, it was a pretty weak year. I mean, we went into this year. You look at the Fed's forecast at the end of 2021, we we're supposed to have 4% real growth this year. Now, all of a sudden, we're at zero. So people talk about, well, the Fed missed the boat on inflation. Well, they were talking about 4% real growth for this year. You know, Now we're down to zero. And we haven't seen all the lags. That's the thing is that the first half of this year, this year has really been about how inflation, especially food and fuels, which is a de facto tax, how that undermined and impaired real spending power in the economy, especially mm -hmm. in the household sector. We They only started to raise rates in March. And then the yield curve only inverted in April. And all these things basically cascade with lags that are between six and 18 months. Like basically we ain't seen nothing yet. And as far as the stock market's concerned, all we've had is we've had the multiple go from 21.22 to 16. We've just basically mean reverted to the long run mean. We haven't even seen the earnings recession yet. That's ahead of us. That impairs corporate cash flows. We're going to get rising unemployment. The Fed's told you already we're going to 4.4. The question is, what is the Fed funds rate that's going to get us to 4.4? Okay. We're going up. It means job loss. What's that going to do to... Uh, consumer cash flows. Uh, what is that going to do to consumer defaults? Uh, this is all next year's story. Yes. So next year is going to be the year where we get the financial spasms. And that full interview is available on our website for members. Um, so, Greg, you know, how are you looking at stocks? I mean, 
you know, there have been, everyone's trying to figure out whether there's the bottom. And, you know, if you listen to Rosie, it's going to get much worse. But other people, including Bullard, was just sort of saying well, there's a possibility for a soft landing and maybe the lows are in. Where do you come down when it comes to U.S. equities? Well, first of all, shout out to my boy, Rosie, Yankee fan, been to many Yankee games with with David. Um, I, I, you know, uh, I remember 87 very well myself. I mean, I started a business in 84. I was on the floor and I had moved off the floor in uh, early 87 and made a ton of money because we were short the market. Um, nice. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, but I was, you know, really young and that money didn't last very long. So, you know, it's, you, there's <laughs> lessons on every side to be gained for everything, right? It's just all kinds of lessons coming all the time. But um, I, I think to, I would go back even a little further and say 85 and coming up is the Plaza Accord anniversary, which was key to all of 87 and to a lot of what we have here, which is the dollar so strong is choking foreign economies. And we have that now. I did a piece yesterday at Emerging Markets, 21, not to not get off the track of your question, but I think it's important to note, 21 emerging market currencies have made new lows, all-time lows against the dollar in either the last week or in the last six months. Uh, and a lot of major if you will, emerging market currencies are in that camp. So that's Plaza Accord, number one. And then you talk about 87. There's a lot of similarities, a lot of differences. It's not 87. But the bond market relationship to stocks is very, very similar in my mind. You had bonds running for nine months in yields where, you know, and, and times when the bond market didn't move a point and a half in a day, when you were like, Oh my God, it's Armageddon. The bond market is more than a point down, you know. But this went on for nine months and yields were screaming to the upside. And it was just one of those things. Stock market kind of hung, it hung, it bounced, it bounced, gives these false moves. And finally, you just need a catalyst because you have a situation where, you know, for the most part, passive investment has taken over, indexing investment has taken over, and people are invested and they're fully invested. And a lot of them are invested in the same stocks. And you have, a lot of stocks with very high individual stock prices now too. Amazon cut their, you know, did the, the split, which was a great move because you can't be a $3,000 stock that everyone owns and people go to liquidate or to take some profits or take some money off the table. And it's a, a vacuum of buyers. There's nobody to buy it, right? Mm -hmm. So you have accidents and all it takes is one accident in these you know, kind of, you know, treacherous times, if you ask me, to precipitate something more serious. So I see similarities in that too. Um, but again, I think when you look at the broader stock market, when you compare the economic data to now, fr from now to the fourth quarter of 2019, that's where I start to have a problem. Uh, when you look at the New York Fed household survey, uh, it's really interesting, comes out monthly, it's a great treasure trove of information. They have a question, you know, do you feel your financial situation is better now than it was 12 months ago and will be better in 12 months? And the readings in, you know, before the pandemic, were really strong. It was like 45% felt better versus 9% felt bad about their future economy, economic situation, financial situation. 45 to nine, literally. Then the pandemic hit and that totally flip-flopped, right? It went to, at its worst point, it was like 28% worse, 25% better. It was actually more people felt worse about their future financial situation. Then inflation comes. Now this also pushes people to the brink where they're borrowing more money. Consumer credit's going through the roof. Unprecedented gains short-term and just going crazy. And, you know, people talk about this huge pile of savings consumer has. It may be large, but it has dwindled dramatically. People have drawn down their savings, borrowed money to pay the bills. If you are in the bottom half of the income scale, you're really hurting. And in that sense, okay, the bulk of, when you talk about the bulk of the country, 
to think the stock market to be so much higher now than it was in 2019 doesn't make any sense to me. Then you start to look at the geometry, particularly in the NASDAQ. All right. The angle is like, you know, to do it right for the camera. I mean, you know, you go back to 2000, it's like this. Right now, it's like this. I mean, it's straight up. And the geometry for me is a problem, too, because you've gone up so far, so fast on printed money. And now you're dealing with some of the fallout. You're starting to see delinquency rates up a little bit. The Fed noted in the meeting minutes. You're starting to see, you know, the credit is not as easily available to the lower half of the, of the population. You're starting to see the early warning signs that a crisis is brewing already off the economic side. So, you know, I think that's a problem for the stock market. And the stock market keeps looking to where's the shift from the Fed from fighting inflation to protecting growth. That's going to be our saving grace here. And it might be funny because when the Fed stops raising rates, and we know inflation mathematically will fall, probably in the first quarter, mm. most of the math, you know. Right now, the February price for crude oil for, for this February is 33 cents below last February's price. By February, you have a negative impact on the base effect on CPI from gasoline prices. So that's key to keep in mind here, too, in terms of where is the Fed going to get to 4.75? It doesn't seem realistic. But getting back to the context of, you know, again, looking at the Fed and looking at the markets, it's just, I think there's a lot of mispricing and optimism in the stock market that is not warranted. And the stock market is waiting for the Fed to come to the rescue. But what if the Fed, you know, stops hiking rates, uh, excuse me, stops hiking rates and inflation comes down? What happens? Real interest rates not only go higher, but they go positive. And they haven't been that way in a long time. And all of a sudden, maybe things are more restrictive than you might think, even though the Fed isn't hiking rates. And that's when the stock market gets, gets you know, clipped. I don't know. That's one scenario, I think, that has... And, you know, it's a scenario, and it's a scenario we haven't we haven't heard a, a lot of people talking about, but this is the yeah. conversation we're going to ha start having, especially as we sort of round the year and we look yes. at, you know, what are potential. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. We've had so many good comments and questions coming in. I want to get to some of them. Um, Rick W., by the way, from our site, it was October 19th, 1987, that I submitted a $465 cashier's check for my Series 6 and Series 63. It's my 35th anniversary today. So a lot of people sharing um, their memories on that. Keep them coming if you were working or you were starting out your career right around that 87 crash. And one of the things that David and I talked about, and I know um, this will resonate with you, Greg, is the fact that you know, when you say like, well, what was it? Because we always look for that thing. It was, it was, you could point to many things, but it was just this collapse in confidence. Like it was this sort of instantaneous collapse in confidence, just the straw that broke, you know, many things layering on it. And I think that's what's got people nervous now. Want to get to this one. Ralph asking, I knew we were going to hear from you, Ralph. Ralph always likes to have a global view. Um, what commodities look interesting to Greg on both the long and short side, if you're playing both sides, Greg? Right. Yeah, I am playing both sides because I think, you know, we're, we're actually, you know, taking a bit of a more trader's view because you have to, I treat different types of trades different ways, you know, obviously. So a counter trend trade, I mean, much more nimble. I'm not going to take as much risk and you have to get out much quicker. You can't wait for trailing stops, right? Stuff like that. So from that context, you know, any short commodity trade to me is counter trend. 
So it's less risk and it's going to be much more nimble on getting out when there's a profit because you can't go to zero, right? So, but I do think that some of the base metals look really bad here. Sold copper today, for example, uh, gold could go to 1450 or lower potentially. Um, you know, it hasn't really reacted to the higher dollar, but you know, you might think that if the dollar gets hit, gold is in a good buying position. So that's one of those trades I'm willing to go either way with, depending on how it plays out and what the kind of sentiment is. But when I look at the broader commodities complex, I get a little worried. Coffee looks bad. Okay. Cocoa looks bad. Uh, you know, the soy complex looks bad outside of soybean oil, you know? Um, so that bothers me when you see base metals and gold and the eggs and the stuff. But I think longer term, I'm all about any of the food commodities. Orange juice is one of my favorites. You know, I'm in Florida, so I keep an eye on the, on the local crops and stuff. It's been a bullish developing story for two years now down here. So that's one of them. Sugar, I would be longer term bullish and always looking to buy. I think coffee will be a buy when it gets whacked, and I think it'll get whacked. Um, so there's a lot going on cotton I like longer term. Um, a little sloppy just right in here in terms of some of the newer supply-demand fundamentals from the USDA, but longer term is still very positive. So, yeah, and, you know, you could tie a lot of this into plays you could find in currencies, too. So uh, I like to try and mix the play up with not only being longer short of commodity, but longer short of currency related to that commodity or some other theme, you know, within that commodity sector. Yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to our friend Mish Schneider, who's always got sugar on her radar. For those of you who know Mish, uh, you'll know you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, so, so let's go let's go to currencies because we haven't hit that, and I'm going to try in the in the limited time we have. And don't worry, Greg will be back with us. But I'm going to try to sort of make our way around the assets as we should be doing now. We're talking about dollar strength, dollar strength. How are you? playing currencies or what are you looking at in this environment? We did see the dollar weaken a little bit this week, but I'm assuming you think that strength, or you tell me, is the strength going to continue? And how do you think about that in terms of currencies? You know, I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a really hard question and it's probably the most critical question. I think the thing I'm kind of thinking about is what happens if what I don't think is going to happen happens you know, right now? I really am. I'm almost prepared for being wrong on this one, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, the dollar has gone too far too fast. And I, I, I've been pounding the table. When I worked at Commodity Corp, we used to have a thing where pound the table. So you pound the table, and it was a group of traders, we had the meetings, and you pound the table, and to tell people the market you don't understand the most, right? I've been pounding the table, you know, on the fact that um, when you're talking about, um, what was the question again, real quick? Just, just what, the currencies. Like, so how are you Corp. playing oh, the currencies, yeah. Yeah, we, we, yeah. So the dollar and pounding the table that the, the Fed can't be so aggressive that they drive the dollar up. Because you remember the old ERM when the European Union had to you know, take everyone's currencies in, they created the exchange rate mechanism, which was to keep the currencies in line. And 15% was considered an egregious out-of-line move for any currency, right? And the central banks were obligated to intervene to stop the currency from moving that far. If you go back in history and look at the moves in the dollar, when it appreciates 15%, God forbid it gets to, God forbid it gets to 20%, over a rolling 52-week period, it's not good for anything, especially stocks. All right. Moreover, when you take the gold price adjusted value of the dollar, when that gets to a 30% ratio uh, rate of change to the upside, again, same thing. Both of those things have happened right now. So to me, it's almost like, look, the Fed, you know, went too far, too fast, and have created another crisis. How does that play out? Well, either the dollar skyrockets and people get blown away in emerging markets with, you know, again, emerging market bonds, new lows, emerging market stock index, new lows, the CEW, the emerging market currency index, new lows. 21 emerging market currencies at historic lows in the last six months or the last six hours. Um, 
So when you take all that into account, the dollar could soar or they could come in and do something. The dollar could go down really hard here. And so I don't know. And that ties back into gold because if dollar soars, gold could get wasted. And that's why I'm short right now. But I also think that, you know, they could come in and try to do something to rectify that. And that could be a really better longer term buying opportunity in gold because I think the dollar is destined to go lower longer term. It's just a question of do we skyrocket first to precipitate what needs to happen to get it lower? Yeah, it's 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 such a tricky time. Um, as we close out here, I uh, just want one last uh, sort of comment on what do you think is is the commodity trade your favorite trade right now, or what 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 are you most convicted about in it in an environment where it's awful tough to be convicted? Or sh is is shorting equities? Um, I, I think you said you think they're going to go down, but are you actively shorting them? What's your favorite trade? Yeah, my favorite trade is. I, I like it and hate it when my favorite trade is the most frustrating trade, which is being short equity indexes, which I am. Um, I don't see a lot. I don't have a lot of positions on the board right now. I really don't because I think that things are kind of preparing to go to the next level. And I think that, you know, I really thought we would have hit a point where in July, if you remember, Powell actually hinted, he said some things that hinted that maybe the shift would start to become part of the, the little kind of veiled narrative underneath the surface mm -hmm. that, you know, we're going to be looking at protecting growth at some point. He said some things that were very specific um, and he had to backtrack that in August very quickly. Right. Um, so, you know, kind of from that perspective, I, I think the stock markets still have to have their bout of disinflation. They haven't done it. I mean, it's the one market that hasn't done it. I think it's the one market the Fed really, frankly, wants to see it happen, but wants to make sure it doesn't get out of control because that's where the danger risks you know, the, the, the risk lies, I should say, and the danger lies for the economy. You know, I mean, that's the last kind of place where there's any kind of wealth stored that's been inflated to whatever degree, um, that if you kind of take that out behind the, behind the barn, that's going to be a problem for everybody. You start to affect the upper end of the income scale when the lower end's already choking, and then you have a real full-blown economic problem on your hands, and the stock market will not react well to that. Yeah, it, it's a difficult path we're on. Um Greg, I, I, you know, as I'm sitting here listening to this, I think my takeaway from this conversation is something that you actually said at the very top, and I think is so important that this is not the sort of time of passive investing where you could just stick your money in an index is gone. You need to be much more plugged in and you need to think beyond paper assets, beyond equities and look across assets if you're going to want to protect your wealth. And I think that is a new environment for all of us, and it's going to be a learning environment for all of us. Yeah, if I might just interject real quick on that, because that's a great point. You said something earlier on that similar line of thinking. It's like when when everyone's asking a question, is it time to buy? I mean, this is everyone. You watch financial television. You watch. It's like, is it time to buy? We're buying yet. We're buying here. We just buying. It's like until you change that, you're not going to see a bottom. What's the better question? Um. Well, the better question is, that, you know, is it time to take protection, even though we've seen such a big decline already? And the answer to that for the last 50, you know, 40 years, at least, would have been no. And I think the day that that answer changes, not too many people are going to take it to heart. So it's a tough one. But, yeah. you know, I have been advised, it's like when you're a broker, all right, and you tell someone to, to buy the dollar and the dollar, you know, starts to go against them. And you call them up and say, I think we should get out of the dollar. And they're like, okay, okay. And he waits two weeks and the dollar gets, you know, waylaid. And then he's calling you, what should I do? 
I'm like, I don't have an answer for you. That the answer was two weeks ago. You can't ask me that question now. So yeah. that's kind of the way I, I feel about it. But it's, I, it's, I think it's that's right. Much. And I think the other question maybe that is, you know, how should I be thinking about my overall portfolio? Not just yes. do I buy, right? Like how, how am I protecting the purchasing power of your underlying paper wealth and income? And there's nothing wrong with being diversified, being a little more active and having some protection and having a little bit of a two-way trade. Yeah. Absolutely. Greg, this was fantastic. Uh, great yeah. to have you on. Loved it. We'll have you back again. Uh, thank you for all the wisdom. Um, great to have someone with your experience on in these times. Anytime. It's my pleasure. Thanks. We appreciate it. Uh, that's it for us. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with Tommy Thornton. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.